Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 48. I'm back in the host seat. Martino's taking a break. Uh, I'm joined as always by my co-host, Matt Santangelo. How are you doing, Matt? Doing pretty well. Another Monday time recording here. Um, some things are heating up in the world of football and uh, definitely excited to talk about them with our next guest. It's been, a, it's been a crazy weekend and you've mentioned that we've got a, uh, a guest today, a great guest, uh, a guy that I've been trying mm-hmm. to get on for a while. Uh, we've we've been meeting, meeting chat for a very long, long time, known him on Twitter for a little while. Uh, Tom McDermott, how are you doing, mate? Hi, guys. You all right? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and who you are? So, um, yeah, I... Um... First of all, I apologise if there's any break in, in, in sound. I'm just uh, an unexpected journey to the garage, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't not get on the podcast, so uh, thanks for having me on. Um, <laughs> I, I started it down at Sky Sports several years ago as a journalist, and um, as a long story short, combined sort of football journalism and, and writing books um, with, with working in businesses and working in content for agencies and things. So sort of 50-50 split on, on the football journalism and, and the working with businesses at the moment, but if you see me on Twitter, it's predominantly football and Premier League and Manchester United. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you mentioned Manchester United. That's a team we're, we're going to get into. Uh, but it's it's great having you on. Um, I mean, we can't not talk about what's been, uh, you know, discussed this morning by so many people on Twitter, by so many other footballing community. The headline story is that Cass have ruled that Manchester City... Uh, will not be facing a ban from Champions League football. I believe they're going to be paying a £10 million fine. Uh, that's been confirmed. Um, Tom, I mean, you know, it's hard for you to think about this objectively, being a Man United fan, the diehard one at that. But, uh, you know, first reactions to this. This is uh, pretty shocking for most of the footballing community. Well, actually, not, not pretty shocking. It's maybe expected, but still uh, annoying for the, for the footballing community. I think... Um... As a, as, a, as a football fan, and if I, if I can try and read it with, without my Manchester United hat on, um, I think I fully expected to, or, or thought the City would, would get perhaps a year ban and, and a significant fine. Um, I mean, I say significant fine, it would have to be probably hundreds of millions to be a significant fine for Manchester City. But I think just speaking to the, the football finance experts and, and some people sort of in the know in terms of in the legal field, I think there was, a, you know, everything was sort of pointing to, or people thought in those areas that, you know, they'd get some kind of ban, maybe not the two years and perhaps a year. And um, what they've come out with is no ban whatsoever and, and a 10, 10 million euro or 10 million pound fine. Now, I've not read all the ins and outs of the case. I, I, I've, I've, had time to do it, so I've, I've looked at the, the press release and some comments from sort of significant journalists and, I think the sort of overriding sense of feeling I'm getting from people is that let's be so there's a feeling that financial fair play, how can it continue? Is it gonna to have to be restructured? Is it I think one journalist said financial fair play is dead. Um, so it's something that we we may have to look at again in terms of the actual impact on Manchester United and, and other teams. I, I saw a lot of Leicester City fans complaining about mm. it, but you know, two two months ago, or, or or a month ago, six weeks ago, whenever the, the sort of lockdown um, restrictions were lifted and football was reintroduced, they they had Champions League qualification in their own hands. You know, so mm-hmm. it seems a bit unfair for the supporters of other clubs to be pointing at, at the city and saying, "Oh, well, we're not going to get that fifth place chance now." You know, whatever the 
the uh, punishment is that it's happened. You know, other teams have got to kind of get on with it now. But it does, on the face of it, seem a little fortunate for City, if I can say. And, and you know, without being biased, because I'm reading a lot of comments and a lot of people from respected journalists who are who are sort of you know a little surprised by it. But I think the big story is not so much about City getting off, but I think we're going to see a wider um, issue and wider discussion about financial fair play because it just now sets the sets the bar, if you like, that you know if you can you can break the rules slightly, but the worst you're going to get is a is, is, is you know is a financial <laughs> fine rather than a, a, a ban from European football. Yeah, it's it's discouraging for a lot of those teams who have been abiding by uh, FFP. You know, um, I think I saw a, a great tweet, Matt, from John Solano, our friend of the show. He said, financial fair play is a farce, absolute farce. Meanwhile, Roma sacrificed a generation of talent in order to appease a governing body in UEFA that can't even enforce its own yeah. measures. I mean, from, from what I've seen and read, FFP have, did actually enforce their own ruling. You know, their ruling was that uh, Manchester City are banned for two years and this was the ban but it's been overturned by Cass so Matt I, I want to pick your brains about that that seems really really strange doesn't it it does and I think you know, I think there's a lot of confusion I know I think you know Tom you mentioned how there's you know certain people that are involved with I guess like the whole legal side and just kind of the financial aspects of the game which are obviously very prevalent and really just uh, impactful now more than ever to know and have sort of some, some sort of grasp on and I don't myself claim to just know how the kind of the ins and outs of everything and how it normally works I know Milan my team that I support um, experienced it a couple of years ago where they kind of had it back and forth and eventually they qualified for Europa League but then they just decided to take it on the chin and not you know play in the Europa League um, you know by choice but I, I think it's just a weird thing to kind of see and I think John's you know definitely um, as, as a Roma fan as someone who covers a team extensively like he does and many other other fans who feel that their their clubs being kind of um, you know not treated as fairly or not treated with the same sort of gloves if you will that that you know some of these other bigger clubs are treated with you know city PSG um, and whoever you know comes next I for me I think just you know in general there's there's a certain element to the game that's being um, tarnished if you will I think there's a lot of things that are you know it's you're having clubs come in just spend 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 and it's it's, it's kind of forcing a lot of these other teams to either comply and kind of follow suit but sometimes they just can't keep up and a perfect example is Roma because they're a team you know that you know they're not far removed from a semi-final but they've had to sell guys like Mohamed Salah they've had to sell um, Alison Becker and you know those are like those are fundamental pieces to their project. Like if you're able to keep those guys going, who's to say they're not the team that's really pushing Juve for a title? Who's to say they're the team that's not, you know, on the rise and building a great project, throwing the fact that they are trying to get their own stadium. So I just think there needs to be a lot more clarity and understanding about sort of how this works for just the common person, because I think there's still just so much up in the air and as to how it actually goes about, you know, you know, them sentencing and handing people punishments. I think for me, and you know, just at the initial reaction when when these uh, this uh, news came out months ago, I think there was always some sort of doubt that people thought, just just wait, something's going to happen. I think City may get off in it with a little a lighter punishment. And sure enough, again, you know, Tom, you mentioned you know for for a, a minor fine like this, they'll take this any day of the week. It's not a transfer ban. They're still able to operate accordingly. They are still able to give the players that he's going to need to keep pressing on Liverpool for, for the you know, for next season and to you know, be a team that is in the thick of things for the, for the champions league. But 
there's got to be some more clarity to this. And I, I suspect there's going to be a lot of blowback. And with the blowback, maybe there's some sort of revisitation with how this um, financial fair play thing works. Yeah, I think it's it's going to have a lot of blowback, you know. I mean, especially this con- coinciding with, um, you know, FFP restrictions being slightly loosened due to COVID, which, you know, makes sense. Gives a lot of teams uh, ability to spend more money. We've already seen Chelsea uh, splashing out on Timo Werner. Uh, the Hakim Ziyech contract is going to start now. Um, so, so they look like they're being bankrolled by Roman Abramovich now that the FFP regulations have been loosened up uh, due to COVID. But I mean, you, you, so you've got that in, in one uh, side of things and you've got this Man City uh, CAS settlement, which has meant that they do not, Get off, they get off with basically a 10 million euro fine. Those two things are bubbling up to make it almost a, a place that we can't return from, isn't it, Tom? I think so. I think this is why I, um, I kind of make the point that the widest discussion is, is what financial fair play is, how it operates and how it impacts um, teams because there'll be a, a lot of clubs now looking at the small print and, and perhaps until these new legislation is tweaked, amended or reintroduced or however you want to describe it, they'll be looking at it and thinking then, well, actually, can we can we bend the rules slightly and, and get the extra player in and spend a bit more money here or, or tweak the squad in this regard? Because it's certainly... I mean, look, Gary Neville made a great point, to be honest. As soon as the announcement was made, he was on Sky Sports and he said that um, he didn't trust UEFA. It's out there today. You, you, your listeners will be able to find it on Twitter. It's about a minute clip. And he's on the pitch. I think he's actually at the Etihad when he when the announcement is made that the, the um, City had been or were being looked at. And he said he didn't trust UEFA and he didn't think they'd do the right thing. And he said that City would probably beat UEFA, which has actually turned out. So while I'm saying that, people within the game uh, in terms of football finance experts and, and legal people expected City to get a, <laughs> you know, to, to maybe get some kind of ban. Ultimately, there were those in the game that, that didn't think it was, was, was going to be possible as well. So, yeah, I think that the, the key thing is, is is what it is and how it's looked at. I mean, there's a couple of interesting articles and and, and stories in the UK today. I don't know if you guys have managed to pick them up, talking about setting up a franchise league and I don't know how much of that's true or not, but I just wonder if that was in UEFA's and, 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 and the committee and the panel, whoever made the decision, I wonder if that was in their mind as well. You know, if you, you come down too hard on a such a superpower like Manchester City, and I, and I might be speaking out of turn here, but if you come down too hard on them, could they, you know, start or look or push for a, a move away from UEFA and, a, you know, creating with the superpowers in the game their own league and their own setup and their own organisation, you know, that, that kind of look after them, you know, and, we then get into a conversation about the European Super League and how that one might, might look. So, again, speaking out, out loud there and, and thinking of different things, but on the face of it, certainly, the, the, they look like they've, they've got off with things pretty pretty well, really. And, you know, players like Kevin De Bruyne, they, they won't be knocking on Pep Guardiola's door tomorrow asking for a transfer because they're going to be in the Champions League and, you know, they could win it this year and it'll mm. give them the opportunity to defend the trophy next season as well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy times, isn't it? I mean, when you think of it from City standpoint, they have now gotten away with uh, it massively. Ten million euro fine is is so much lower than missing out on, you know, what considering uh, City probably will get to the last sixteen in the next two seasons, they're probably going to be making 
what, 70, 80, 120, 130 million pounds rather than euros uh, just from being in the Champions League alone over the next two seasons. And, so, uh, you know, yeah, they made it, they, they sold, didn't they? Sold Sané a yeah. few weeks ago as well. So they probably, you know, 10 million pound. I mean, I, I don't know what the legal fee would have been for it all. I, I imagine that was substantial as well. But, yeah. you know, they, they, sold, they sold Sané for what, just, just under 50 million. So, they, you know, they've probably haven't lost any money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it was the difference between essentially a, you know, 10 million euro fine to 150 million euros in worth, worth of uh, prize money in the Champions League over the next two seasons, which is, uh, which is crazy. The disparity between those two punishments, the, the, the craziness that it's not somewhere in between those two, if they were going to lower the punishment, you know, a year and a 30 million euro fine. I, I think a lot of football fans would have been like, okay, you know, with all the lawyers that City have, no doubt that they got away with some of it, but not all of it. This is this is kind of uh, getting away with murder, so so to speak, in the footballing world. But I mean, enough of that negativity. For now, uh, Tom, you're obviously a, an avid uh, Man United fan, follower, uh, content creator, writer, whatever you want to call it. They've had an absolutely amazing, amazing turnaround since the break, since the COVID break. And I just wanted to pick your brains about it. Is it simply players coming back from injury? Is there something else? Is it the the Bruno impact? I mean, for me, I can't look past the Bruno Fernandes part transfer. It seems as, as soon as he walked through the doors uh, at Carrington, um, you guys have basically turned the ship around. I think it's been, um, I think Bruno Fernandes is probably one of the main reasons, but I think he, 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 the timing of his arrival fits in with Solskjaer's changing of, the, changing of culture at the club that's taken several months since last, uh, the last summer transfer window, well, over 12 months ago, or around 12 months ago now. Um, so I think Bruno Fernandes is, is sort of the catalyst. He seems to have been piecing everything together and his form, I think, well, I don't think certainly in the Premier League for, for Manchester United, we've seen many people who have come in and hit the ground running and, and made such a positive impact, certainly from a, from a, from a, from a foreign league anyway. Um, so there's that. But I think that, yeah, it's a combination of, I think, the culture change, the work and Solskjaer and his team are doing in terms of style of play. And I think Pogba summed it up this week, actually, because he said that United had had managers previously since Alex Ferguson or, or since he's been at the club under, under Mourinho, where he's had a bit too much attacking or there's been a bit too much defending, but there's never been a full amount of control in the game. And now what they've got is a perfect balance to how they, they play. You turn up and you expect Manchester United to match at least or probably have more possession than most Premier League teams, maybe not Liverpool or Manchester City. But even if you look at games against Manchester City and Liverpool, they seem to have a style and a way of playing and, and a belief that they can take something from those games. So I think these are almost like a perfect storm of several elements. But I think absolutely Bruno Fernandes, I think his statistics are there for all to see. I think his performance level. And I think that I, when, I, when I put together my, my first book, I spoke to Michael Vaughan, the, the cricket captain, England cricket captain, and he said something to me, that, and I think he's seen it now at Manchester United, where he said that when you play sport, and you guys will know this, when you're younger, you play it because you enjoy it. And that's what you should remember you're doing it for. You're playing it because you enjoy it. And I'm just looking at United now. I even look at Pogba, and I think that the players look like they're having fun again. Mm. You know, they look like, yes, there's pressure on there, but they all look like they're playing for each other and all having fun. And I think Bruno's sort of leading that, if you like, as well. I mentioned the word leading there, and that brings me on to my, my second point. If you look at all the great sides or teams that win trophies, they generally have leaders, and you're starting to see that now. Maguire, I think, is a very good Premier League defender. He, he's got his, his faults that I've spoken about before, but actually he's the captain, so he's a leader. You've got then Bruno 
who's come along and he was the captain of Sporting. You've got Nemanja Matic, Pogba. You saw his team talk before the World Cup final, uh, the last World Cup. So he's capable of doing that as well. There's little play, players now, um, little, little positions rather, that people are starting to emerge as leaders. And I go back to any great side, and I'll, you know, Manchester United, 94 double winners, Schmeichel, Bruce, Pallister, Keane, in Cantona, Hughes. You've got all that there. You've got 99. You had Schmeichel, Yapstam. Uh, Keane wasn't obviously in the finals, but he was there still. You had Colin York up front. You had the class of 92 emerging. Gary Neville was obviously very young then, but he had a, he had a voice. And then the 08 side, you had Carrick. Skulls was still there. Vidic and Rio. Van der Sar in goal. Tevez was a, was, was a fantastic player for, for Argentina. Rooney even, even at a young age. So I'm not saying that the United team are in that league yet, but in terms of culture, yeah, we're definitely ticking a box. We're playing with smiles on our faces. And I know that might not be a massive thing for, for people to realise, but you know, you have fun, you're more relaxed and you, you, know, you perform better generally in anything you do. And then you've got this leadership. You've got the introduction of Fernandez. Pogba just seems a lot happier. And it was an interesting point on Twitter the other day, actually, about Pogba, that when he was at um, Juventus, he wasn't necessarily the main man in that midfield or, or, or creative force or within it within them. There was people like Perbo were there and he excelled. And you look at France, there's Mbappe, there's Griezmann, these other guys who can do it. He had Matuidi next to him, sort of doing the more defensive and, I guess, disciplined work. And I think we're seeing that now with Fernandez. I think he's looking around at United and thinking, actually, the shackles are off slightly. I've got another guy here who is world-class in what he offers in the, the final third from a creative point of view. And there's not so much pressure on me to deliver all the time. And again, I mentioned Perfect Storm. Along with that, Mason Greenwood on the scene. Martial mm. looks like he could potentially turn into the number nine we've had. And also Rashford, post, um, sort of pre-lockdown, was, was in fine form as well. And between the three of them, I think they scored more goals than Liverpool's front three. So there are lots of little elements that seem to be working and I was speaking on another podcast last week. Now when Manchester United play teams like Southampton, and I know this is Southampton, because I think it'll be a very, very, very tricky game for them on Monday evening. I don't know when this is going out, but on Monday evening, obviously United play Southampton. But I just kind of expect them to win now, which isn't arrogance. It's just kind of the, the, the mood Solskjaer's got his team to play in and, how, and the style of play. So it's very, very positive. And, it, and, it, it, and if you're a Manchester United fan, certainly since Sir Alex Ferguson, I don't... Yes, they've won trophies, but... I can't remember a sort of the feeling. It feels different. It feels like they're moving in the right direction. You know, Tom, I, I absolutely agree with everything you've said. You know, I, I also think there's something about, you know, you, know, you talked about the club culture. You talked about just the general vibe uh, amongst the, fan, uh, of the the players and how they're just going out there and playing. At the end of the day, you dumb it down to something as it, it is a game. And it's a game that, you know, you when you have the players feeling confident, they're happy, they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're have being their normal their normal selves on the pitch. They have their personalities. You know, I know that was a big thing with Pogba. You know, I feel there was times where, like, he wasn't able to, you'll be his expressive stuff. He wasn't able to be the sort of midfielder that he was at Juventus, you know, albeit in a different role in a different, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, how he was more yeah, of a, a, you know, you know, so I, I think that the overall uh, squad dynamic um, has definitely softened. It's a little more uh, lighter now that you have a guy like Bruno Fernandes in there when he come, when he came in there and even just, you know, talking to you know, your friends of mine who are Manchester United fans, it seemed like a sense of relief that, you know, if there were always some sort of doubts about whether or not it was going to happen. And then once it happened, it feels like, like a kind of like, Ah, okay, good. We got the guy in. Now, all of a sudden, I think they're, it's amazing how one player can have that sort of impact on the squad because 
being some of your veteran players like Matic, players like Pogba who've been there for a handful of years, but also the, the young kids up front, there's a nice meshing of uh, a more veteran presence, but also like a lively, fresh take on um, you know, Manchester United football that we haven't seen in a couple of, in, in a couple of years. You know, you, you got the Greenwood, you got Rashford, you got Martial. They're having fun. They're thriving. The midfield looks much sharper, much more balanced. And you know, you know, you touched on Maguire's you know, some his some of his slight defensive issues, but overall, generally, if you look at the actual makeup of the squad, it seems there like maybe United is turning the corner. We talked about this on our previous episode between them and Chelsea. Like there's, you know, for a while with City, Liverpool, now you feel like the kind of the pack is coming back together and the, the Premier League competition is strengthening to what it you know, was previously. So um, I, I just want to really quickly ask you um, your thoughts on, um, you know, from both you can, you can put on the fan hat, the follower hat, also the more content creator, just kind of not, you know, not trying to be as biased towards your team that you love so dearly. Do you think the results that we've seen from United, the, the impact that the, the players have um, you know, gained uh, post the restart, and just in generally speaking, based on the overall feel uh, at this moment in time, do you feel that the, the perception amongst the fan base is that maybe Ollie is the guy that could be here for yeah. a handful of years? Or do you think, because I think there was a lot of up in the air about that. Um, he had a good start, and then there was that kind of period in between where people thought, Maybe they're going to need a coach, right? You know, but now all of a sudden he seems like he's kind of got this thing back on track. They got players that are, are really buying into it. Everyone seems to be playing really well. The Pogba situation that most people thought he was going to leave because there was heavy interest between Real Madrid and Juventus seems as though that that contract is going to get sorted out. So do you feel that Ollie is the guy that uh, United fans can lean on as the, the, the guy to carry this ship long term? Yeah, yeah, it's a good, great question. Uh, I think that sort of November, December time, I'd completely written, written him off and written him off publicly. I was quite vocal in it. It just didn't look like he... Um, he didn't fit. I didn't look at him and think, you're a Manchester United manager. Now, there seems to be a complete transformation. I look at him, uh, he sounds like a Manchester United manager. He seems to have got the balance right with the old kind of morals and ethics and, and how United were and sort of meshed it together with this new... Uh, sort of style of play and if you look at Manchester City or Real, uh, or even Real Madrid if you like now or, or Barca or Liverpool or great teams of, of past and present you know pretty much how much Liverpool are going to line up week in week out if there's a big game and Solskjaer's kind of getting to that level with United you'd be surprised if Greenwood, Marshall and Rashford don't play up, up front or are attacking um against Southampton you'd be surprised if wan and Lindelof Maguire and Luke Shaw whether people like them or not you'd be surprised if those guys aren't, aren't starting as well um, so he does seem to have, 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 have and I'm not going to say stumble because I think he's worked hard at it and I think I, I'll hold my hands very very wrong to write him off but I was only going on what I saw at Cardiff and what I saw at Baldy you see. so I, I, we didn't have a great deal to go but I think he's he's he, in terms of the culture the start of play um, the fans are absolutely on board with, with, with Solskjaer and I think they're actually a little bit relieved that he's managed to turn it around because it did look in November, December that you know Pochettino as well was, was Tottenham his career was you know I, don't know I can't remember exactly when Pochettino left but it was the obvious it felt like when Van Gaal was there to be honest and Mourinho was available to get as manager it felt a little bit like that it felt like Solskjaer was more a bit of a sitting duck and that he'd eventually be moved on or as a director of football and Pochettino would come in. Now, I think Solskjaer will probably lead Manchester United to, to into a to Champions League football next year. 
and then that's kind of level one and base one done. He then needs to take it on that next step. But what he has got in his favour is that he looks like he's got the belief in the backing of the board. And secondly, that all-important style of play means that if you get two or three players in, and I know that's not easy, but if you do get two or three players in, add to what you've got, then he could well in the next, I'm not so sure next season, but he could well in the next two years, if he keeps developing and if they keep playing and Greenwood will get better, don't forget, and he can add a couple of signings, he, he, I think he has got a chance to challenge for the title, not next season, but maybe the season after. So yes, the fans can see this. There was a significant dip but the improvement and the style of play um, has been recognised by supporters. And I think they're very pleased with, with, with how he's been doing. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy turnaround, hasn't it, from Solskjaer? I mean, the, the break has certainly helped him from an injury standpoint, from a uh, getting a rhythm standpoint, from really hammering down the culture standpoint. As you mentioned, you know, Pogba coming back, Matic becoming fit again uh, and, and actually ready to play. Um, Rashford getting back to full fitness Martial finally you know uh, uh, finding his feet after a bit of injury trouble as well I guess the only player that didn't want to stop playing was probably Bruno Fernandes and even him he's come back in excellent condition <laughs> but um, the, the guy that's probably benefited from the, the most out of all is, is Mason Greenwood so Tom I, I want to I round up the United chat by asking him, him about you I mean um, for me I think he's a fantastic player he looks an amazing talent I'm sure he's going to be he's, he's going to score you know hundreds of goals for Man United in the, in the future I, I mean that with no pinch of salt you know I really do think he's going to score that many goals for United um, I want to ask you a couple of questions one is it a concern to you about uh, a lot of the analytics community talking about his expected goals versus what he's actually scored and then secondly that there remains to be a slight doubt I suppose in terms of I know you can only score against the teams in front of you but um, do you think he's ready to to lead United in scoring against the likes of you know Spurs, Arsenal, City, Liverpool, rather than the uh, the Bournemouths and the Newcastles of this world. How big a step is that going to be for Mason Greenwood? And and will that be when he gets seen as the real deal and the, and the leader of that United attack? I think I think you're on mute, Tom. Can you hear me? You yeah, me? there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go uh, yeah. First, first of all, I think that I, I think Mason Greenwood is probably the most exciting. Uh, player to emerge from the academy since the class of '92. Mm. I think he, I think he's that good, and I think that. Look, I think you'll probably see him eventually as, as a number nine. But I think you, you mentioned other teams then, and would he score against those, and could he put the same performance level in? I don't think that's really a conversation for now because I think that even if he doesn't, I think he can grow in grow into that over the, the next couple of years. We're talking about a, a, a very, you know, he's a kid still. But at the same time, I won't be surprised if he did perform against them because. He can he can score goals with left or right foot quite easily, and his first touch and his body shape is is he's lethal. He's cold in front of goal, and he just he just seems to be able to have that extra bit of time in the area, even under when under intense pressure, just to make things happen and score and score goals. So, for me, Mason Greenwood will be. Uh, I agree with you. I think he will score a significant amount of goals for Manchester United. I think over the next couple of years, he will improve, obviously, and he'll get better. I think eventually we may see him as a, as a number nine, which will... That, that's think, the question for me as well. I mean, looking at him as a player, I don't really know where he's going to end up. He feels almost like a, you know, Robin Van Persie used to say that him and Wayne Rooney are both nine and a half. Is that the kind of position yeah. you see him? Yeah, I think so. I think you just look at the variety of goals he scored. The goal against Aston Villa was completely different to the goal mm. in the area, the first goal he scored against Bournemouth, 
where he controlled it and hit it. Keeper may have done better. The second goal against Bournemouth wasn't even a chance. It was something he created himself. And then you look at the goal against Aston Villa, 18-yard box, the ball hit the net before Reina had even got off the ground properly. Mm. You know, the guy's lethal in, in a variety of areas, the left or right foot. The goal against Brighton as well, um, earlier earlier on, or earlier on in lot, when well, well, the restrictions were, was, was a different kind of goal. So, look at his variety of goal. He's inside the area, outside the area, left foot, right foot. Um, the first touch he's got, a lot of people take for granted because mm. it's just so easy to him. It's just effortless. He sets him up for that, for that striker goal. So, very, very exciting if you're Manchester United player. And it is hard, you know, you can't not play him now. You, you know, he's that good. And he will have dips in form because young players are inconsistent. Ryan Giggs was the same. Um, Ryan Giggs went through periods where, you know, he, he, a big accusation of Ryan Giggs was that he couldn't cross the ball properly. Um, and that he was, you know, weak on his right side and, and he worked on it and, and mm. obviously turned into a world-class player. He did, but yeah, he'll have dips in form. But I think if you're a Manchester United fan or a fan of English football, really, you've got to look at him and think, you can't really keep him out of the Manchester United team, and which will mean that I expect him to get on the plane for the Euros next summer. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It's, it's really strange, isn't it, to see um, uh, Arsenal, City and uh, seemingly United produce their best talents since forever, you know, at the same time. Bakayo Saka being Arsenal's best product since uh, Ashley Cole, Phil Foden being City's best product since I don't know Michael Johnson um and United's uh you know Mason Greenwood since since God knows who you know since the class of 92 so it's really interesting and, and great for English football that all these guys are, are surfacing at the same time I mean just on uh speaking about Arsenal uh there are t- there are two teams in North London that I suppose are going through a bit of transition at the moment um Tom and I wanted to ask you about them it feels like Arsenal and Spurs are both in the kind of Liverpool and United phases of their transition. If you think about United with the uh, yeah. uh, Cal uh, Andre Voronin, and you think about United under Louis Van Gaal, and then again um, uh, under the latter stages of uh, Mourinho, even last season. Um, what do you think of the two clubs from the outside, and, and where do you see either of them going in the next, you know, two to three seasons? I think Tottenham Hotspurs. Um... Starting eleven when everybody's fit, he's, he's up there. I think it's certainly a, a one to eleven that Mourinho could shape in his own style. But I think what I will say about both managers, Mourinho and Arteta, they've got something to prove, haven't they? Arteta because he's still relatively unknown in terms of being a manager, mm. a lot of coach experience with Pep, and Mourinho is he still the special one? So both both managers have got something to prove. I just think the competition's that hard that they're going to have to give them two two to three years because we're approaching. I think. Solskjaer's third, uh, third year, or will mm. be in his third year, second year. So certainly, certainly going into his, his second full season. Um, so I think that it's very, very difficult. And I think what we saw with Jurgen Klopp, what we've seen with Solskjaer to a certain extent, Pochettino, it took him five years. I mean, to get, I mean even Pep, you know. Even Pep, yeah, straight away didn't win the league. So what? you know where I'm going. You know what word I'm going to use. It's, it's, it's a time or a bit <laughs> of time. Now, does... Covid mean that Mourinho, you write off his first sort of stint at Spurs, and we do three years from now. He'll probably need it to get Spurs, you know, up towards the, the Liverpool and, and Man City levels. Um, but in terms of Arteta, uh, for me, the jury's very much out because I'm not sure. I look at them sometimes, and I think that they, you know they look really great style of play. Reminds me of Solskjaer actually when he first took over. Really good, good style of play, but then they'll get a result, and you just think, oh, how they lost that, mm. you know? And then I like, like yesterday, basically. <laughs> yeah, David Luiz and Kalazinat, they, 
don't strike me as a team who were not going to concede goals. They always look very, very leaky. And mm. I think that there's a, there's a softness to them, to Arsenal. And I think there's a, a softness to a certain extent to, to Tottenham. But with a manager like Mourinho, with something to prove, you'd think that they would be able to turn a corner slightly, perhaps quicker. If you, ask me, if you were to ask me who was the team in the better position out of the two North London clubs, and I've got a lot of friends who support Arsenal and Tottenham, I'd probably say Tottenham. Mm. Mm. Because of the the one to eleven they've got, they've got Harry Kane and they've got Mourinho. E- now, even Mourinho even with Mourinho, <laughs> I don't think Mourinho. I wanted Mourinho at United. I thought it was time for him to, to join United. I think that he wanted the job as well. Um, even though a look at his previous record would tell you that he wasn't going to last more than three years. I thought he might have done. Obviously, he had to leave in the end. I think that was the right decision. I think that the game has moved on, and perhaps he hasn't quite moved on as much and I think the beauty of people like Charlie Ferguson is that they could adapt and, and delegate and, and move with the times we're going to see I think I think this is Mourinho's last chance really the, in a, mm. sort of a, a big club where certainly in, in the Premier League anyway where he's going to have to change slightly so it'd be exciting to see if he can do that but um, I, I have my doubts I think I, I, you're right to ask I'm not sure if he is quite as special as he once was but it'll be it'll probably be good fun for everybody else watching and Maybe, uh, maybe not so much for Tottenham fans. But even when you know he was at United and he, he left there under a cloud, he did win the League Cup and the Europa League. Mm. So Spurs are famous for for wanting trophies, and their fans really, you know, crave that trophy. Um, we'll we'll soon see if, if Mourinho can deliver another one for them. But I think yeah, Spurs slightly ahead of Arsenal in terms of the direction they're heading. Um, but that can change very quickly with Mourinho. Mm. <laughs> I think it all it all hinges on that man, doesn't it? I mean, this is definitely his last big job as well. I mean, especially in the Premier League, if it doesn't work out here, I, I don't really know if there's a, an, a list as long as you're armed to take him on another big club. No, but, um, I mean, my, my, my feeling with Mourinho is that he, he probably is past his best. Mm. Um, I was very pleased when he, when he took over at United because I thought with City getting pet, that's what United needed at that time. Um, and, and of course, he, you know, it was my belief that I was, I was pleased that he went, and because I think that you know he saw a fire and poured petrol on it at Old Trafford. I think he was causing more problems in the end than probably was necessary. Um, but he had a lot of excuses at, at United. You know, the ownership Edward Wood not getting exactly what he wanted when he wanted. Yeah, I don't think he's going to have as many excuses at Tottenham because, like I say, the, the team that was the eleven that was left, although Pochettino's record wasn't that, that good actually, as good as it, it, it seemed last year in the Premier League. He was left a team that got to the final of the Champions League. So let's let's see how he does. I, I fear it'll probably go wrong, but history suggests that, that Tottenham may win a trophy on the way there. Yeah, well, well, I mean, we'll see about that. I've got a few bets with my uh, Spurs mates that that won't happen, <laughs> but uh, we'll, see, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Um, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, I mean, we've, we've taken up so much of your time and we hope your your car's going to be fit and healthy after, after your, uh, yeah, after your no, journey. Yeah, it's all right. It's, uh, it's my, I've managed to hear you, sir, but yeah, pleasure to be on and thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Where can people find out more about you on uh, Twitter? Uh, if you go on to Twitter, it's um, twitter.com forward slash Mr. Tom McDermott. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. That was uh, an absolute pleasure having you on. Well, that was awesome having Tom on. He's a great guy, a United fan. Obviously, it's better having him on when United are doing well, nice and cheery, nice and happy, even though his 
car was <laughs> just come back from the garage uh, unexpectedly. He was supposed to record from the comfort of his own home, but it was great having him on, wasn't it, Matt? Absolutely, yeah. A lot of great insight on, on United. It was definitely a great chat. I'm sure we'll have him back on soon. Yeah, great guy. Uh, well, just before we move on to a couple other things, we're going to touch on the Serie A, La Liga, and a bit of drama in the MLS. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. They're a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee, and Rafa Honigstein. They've been doing some amazing, amazing stories recently, so definitely, definitely check them out. Um, the Athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else. No ads or clickbait, just great sports writing. So 50% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around go over to the athletic.co.uk slash state of play and that's £2.49 a month if you go for the annual deal which is the equivalent to about $3 Matt I don't know if you've been buying anything for for more than $3 to, uh, today or, or this week yeah I actually had to pay for in uh down here the, the Jersey Shore area I had to pay for parking and parking was like four fifty, like a meter parking Damn. so yeah I already kind of pretty much had like a month and change of of athletic but that so yeah, it just goes to show you how how much value you're getting for that two forty nine pound uh, per month offer, and again fifty percent off the whole thing. You're getting all the sports. You're getting not only just uh, greatest in football writing, but also you have a lot of these American sports coming back. NHL, you have MLB, you have basketball, uh, mm-hmm. NFL. So there's a lot of great content at a really really great price if you uh, subscribe through our link. Yeah, please do subscribe to our link. Uh, what did I buy recently? Oh, I bought some a lot of sushi today for lunch. That's seven pounds worth. So uh, it's a lot more than two pound forty nine. But uh, let's let's. <laughs> I mean, it's kept me full, so that's that's good at least. But uh, Matt, I mean, Syria is where we're going to start after that great little interview with Tom. Um, some amazing stories, you know. Atalanta playing phenomenal football. I, I saw a crazy stat that they they had the ball for six minutes ninety seconds. And you didn't touch it or something crazy like that? I mean, we haven't talked about uh, that much about Milan's um, 4-2 win against Juventus. Uh, there's been some crazy things going on there, you know, Inter Milan faltering, Lazio faltering. So, you know, talk me through your thoughts on, on, on all of those things. Sure, yeah, this, with the condensed schedule, it's kind of tough, I think, because I think we, we released our previous episode an uh, hour or two before the Milan-Juve game last week. So we have that plus the fact that Milan just got a draw at the time of recording uh, against Napoli. So they've wrapped up by probably their toughest part of the schedule with Roma, uh, Lazio, Juve, and Napoli. Three victories against the first three. And then, of course, getting a draw against Napoli. So 10 out of 12 points against you know, four of the bigger sides, the title, the three, you know, two title contenders. Um, definitely a great stretch for Milan. If you're a fan of the club, I think you've got to definitely be happy with the direction they're going. There are a couple of points off a Europa League spot. And look, I think if you're a Milan fan in this situation, you know, you're, yeah, you're happy, you're thrilled, but Milan have, have recently just had struggle, uh, had trouble getting through some of their lighter opponents. That seems to be always the one thing that stands in their way. It happened last year with um, you know, draws to Udinese and Parma, that, and they lost on the Champions League by one point. So they got to take care of those clubs. I, you know, I think it's one of those cases where um, they can get good results against some of the top clubs, but ultimately, if you want to meet your objective, you just got to take care of those other teams. And I think that's something that I think Yamaha fans need to be a little bit cautious with because of this condensed schedule. You see how certain teams like Latu and Inter, as you mentioned, 
are uh, the kind of feeling that condensed schedule, right? I think one of the biggest focuses for me has been Lazio and the fact that they've just been dropping points. And even the games that they have won since the restart, they've had to come back and claw against teams that they otherwise probably would have handled had we been on a normal regular regimen here. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that came up this weekend was the defeat that Lazio took from Sassuolo. Sassuolo mm. had, a really good, had a really good possession game. We talked about the Cherby on our previous episode and how he's doing really good things with that club. But 2-1 victory, Francesco Caputo, his 16th goal of the season, they bought him for $7.5 million. Mm. 16 goals, a guy who could be trending up to 20. Not, I, don't, I think only one of them have been penalties, Pat. So that's wow. fantastic production between him, between Berardi, between Boga. And then also we're going to head over briefly to um, Atalanta, as you, as you touched on. They had a great result against Juve. I played Juve. The six, the six minutes I was kind of on loop. I saw people kind of you know, uh, trying to fit in within the two, two minutes, 20 seconds. So they sped it up. And then Atalanta, the way they just circulate possession, recycle it, you know, like play keep away, but also it's useful possession. And I think that's such a key thing that we've seen from Gasparini is how he's able to translate that sort of possession, lull you to sleep, and then hit you quickly. The Zapata goal was fantastic. Um, he tends to push all the right buttons with Malinowski coming on. He had that big goal. Of course, Ronaldo got a penalty, his 28th goal of the season. He's actually one goal behind Chiri Mobile for the uh, Capo Canieri. And look, he's brought seven off the uh, goal scoring record set by Gonzalo Higuain in 2015-2016. So a lot of things are happening. I think Juve, again, they have some more distance between them and the pack for the title. Atalanta, they can't, maybe can't rule them out. I know there was a joke going around, too, once the uh, Champions League draw came out. And I think there was a pundit who said that Atalanta has struggled since the restart. and He would probably take a team like Leipzig over Atalanta. Atalanta are, uh, they've, they've, are unbeaten. They've Prior to the game against Juve, which they should have won, they were six for six and wins plus 10 goal differential. So they're a team that you can't sleep on and they're going to be fascinating to watch the rest of the way again against PSG specifically, which has been mm. a really big topic of discussion. On, I think uh, that's going to be like 17, 12 on aggregate. That's yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going to be, we, you know, what's funny too, is that, you know, I was talking to Martino, Martino, Ashley, he's like, you know, throw some money on Atalanta for me. Um, mm. I think at the time he did it, um, they maybe were like 6,500 plus 6,500. And now it's like plus like 1400. So great value, but the public is starting to really shift and give their attention and credit to Atalanta for the performances they've put up. And when you throw the fact that Atalanta are just consistently playing football, consistently playing really good football, and you're maybe getting PSG at a time where they're just trying to get back into the swing of things, it could be just a perfect storm for Atalanta to really kind of keep this fairy tale, uh, you know, foray, their first foray in the Champions League going. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch them in the Champions League. I mean, they're, they're, they're firepower, you know, in Ilicic, in Zapata, in um, Gomez. Three goals, I mean, three players with 15-plus goals. I think they're the crazy. first club to do that since 1951-52 Juve. So mm. in Ilicic, you have Muriel, who's been like a super sub at times. And then you also have um, uh, Zapata. So yeah, they're, 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 they have so much attacking firepower, but I think they just have so much depth yeah, I was going to say, you took, took the words out of my mouth. I mean, in the past couple of seasons, they might not have had that depth, especially up top and yeah. um, in midfield. But now with Malinowski and Muriel Pasilic, coming in, Pasilic, Chelsea. Yeah. there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And I think they've got, yeah. they've got the ability to become uh, a, 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 a player in the Serie A, if that makes sense. You know, not only being the, the one season wonder, but actually uh, being there for a little while. But um uh, any any other updates for you from you, Matt, in in Serie A before we move on to La Liga? I know there was a lot that we just mentioned, but um, what are your thoughts? 
no, I think that's that's pretty much it. I think we're in for a great. I think yeah, I think the title race is pretty much solidified. I think Juve have this despite not playing that that great of football. And the result again against Juve against Milan uh, you know, last week was telling and and supported that. But I think it's going to be really fun fun to watch how um, Atalanta gets goes the rest of the way because I think they're a team that can maybe even shoot up to second um, if they keep things going and Inter and Lazio continue to kind of you know hit some snags in their form. So definitely going to be some fun times to watch the rest of the way. And even the Europa League chase is definitely very tight, but also there's a lot going on in the bottom of the table for the, for the relegation battle, which is always something that tends to get overlooked in all the conversation for, you know, the top honors, Europa League and so on and so forth. So definitely a lot of excitement going on the rest of the way for Serie A that um, if you're not giving it a chance, I definitely encourage you to do so. Yeah, check it out, check it out. And I mean, uh, over over in sunny Spain, uh, it looks like Real Madrid are, are romping to probably the most boring title in La Liga history at the moment. I don't know, it just felt like that league has is, is really just uh, kind of... Uh, they've crawled over the line, haven't they? In terms of it just looks like them and Barcelona aren't... Uh, they both weren't at the top. Um, Atletico Madrid weren't amazing. Uh looks like that league has, has probably been the poorest it's been in a while. But uh, Lionel Messi broke a, an amazing record, getting 20 goals and 20 assists. Um, the, the, the double 20, um, the first player to do so since uh, Thierry Henry, which is, which is pretty amazing. I mean, uh, I, I was saying in the chat, uh, Matt, you know, um, uh, didn't Jadon Sancho got 16 and 17 in about 25 Bundesliga starts? If he'd started every game, I mean... Ah, damn, I, you, you'd be hard-pressed to not see a double 20 there from him as well. So it just goes to show that you not only need to be a really, really good player and have amazing output, you need to play enough as well and have a luck on your side. But, you know, the, the law of averages, when you're, when you're as good as Lionel Messi, you create as many chances as he does and you score as many goals as he does. It was, it was only a matter of time before it comes. But it looks like it's, it's all going to be in vain because Real Madrid don't look like they're stopping, do they, Matt? Not at all. Um, you know, I think it's, it's going to be one of those things, too, where I, you know, at the time of this, I think Griezmann has just recently picked up an injury. And I think he was starting to kind of turn the corner. I think that Setien was turn, starting to finally find a way to use him and, and use him really well. But, yeah, I think, you know, this season that Messi has put up, like, he's, he's carried Barcelona. Like, you don't put up those numbers and you're not carrying Barcelona. Like, it's, 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 it's phenomenal, to, phenomenal to watch, um, you know, the, 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 the day-in and day-out performances he puts in. Um, and, and, and it's, it's a shame that's probably going to go to waste in terms of them not getting the, the title. And even the Champions League, I know there's a lot of teams, that, a lot of uh, fans and, and, and viewers who are ruling them out. They think that maybe Napoli can actually beat Barcelona. So it just goes to show you how really centric, Messi-centric they are in terms of where, whether or not they're successful. But I, I don't know how this is going to kind of factor into his Ballon d'Or case because I think a lot of people are going to say, well, look, I mean, he literally carried Barcelona to a second-place finish if they finished second. And however far they go in the Champions League remains to be seen. But to put up these numbers and to maybe come up empty-handed may either sway people who vote for him for the Ballon d'Or in his favor or may use that against him that, okay, yeah, but you didn't get any silverware. You didn't carry your team to a title maybe as a guy like Ronaldo does to, with Juve and if they get the Champions League. Or, you know, if Lewandowski, you know, with the title that he already got in the League, in the league Cup, um, you know, so that's going to be also fascinating to watch the rest of the way and how that unfolds because there's a lot of talk uh, amongst who will be who will finish top three, and that was something I've always presented um, on Twitter on our personal account um, and on the State of Play account is who do you see podium because it's been a weird se- season. Certain clubs have not been as sharp. 
but you still have the usual suspects of Ronaldo Messi there, but also some guys like maybe De Bruyne, for instance, or mm-hmm. Sané, you know, now, they got, now that Liverpool got the title. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot. It's going to be a really wide-open race, in my opinion, for the, uh, for the Ballon d'Or, and it's just exactly, I think, what many fans are hoping for, just someone other than Messi and Ronaldo. <laughs> I mean, we we kind of got the sympathy one for Modric last. Uh, yeah, uh, snuck it in the there. Yeah. yeah, he snuck it. It was Kaká, then it was Messi, Ronaldo, and then Modric, and then you feel like it's it could go back to Ronaldo or Messi again. But mm. hopefully, it's Lewandowski. Mm. Well, I mean, it depends. It depends what happens in the Champions League, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. um, Ronaldo wins the Champions League. I, I, I guess he gets it. Um, same the other way around. But if uh, you know a city are led to a Champions League, but then they didn't win the league, so. Does that count against someone? So I think maybe it's going to be uh, a player in a team who, who wins the league and the Champions League. So mm. you're thinking of a Real Madrid, a Juventus, a Bayern player maybe. Um, if you look at Bayern, they don't really have a main man apart from Lewandowski. Could he have a chance in winning it if they do well in the Champions League? Uh, and then you've got Ronaldo um, and then potentially, uh, you know, potentially Sergio Ramos. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a weird it's a weird season. I, I wouldn't rule anything out or any surprises out of the out of the conversation. Mm. Well, Matt, I think that's all we've got time for. Uh, we've packed so much in in the last what fifty five sixty minutes. Uh, a great interview with Tom uh, talking all things Premier League, and then we just decided to wrap up with the remaining two leagues in Italy and Spain. Uh, I hope you guys really really enjoyed that. Matt, where can people find out more about you? Follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Make sure you guys are following us on Instagram and um, our Facebook. It's at State of Play. So you guys can check us out there. And yeah, we appreciate the support. And we're very happy to be approaching episode 50 very soon. So that's another milestone for us. And that's all thanks to you guys. That is a milestone. I wonder what we'll do for that one. I, I, I mean, I'm actually saying I wonder what we'll do because I don't know what we'll do, but we'll see. It's only in three weeks. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, shout out Martino. He'll be back, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we'll be sure to get many more great guests lined up for you guys. Uh, let's see what we do for episode 50. Now you've got me thinking, Matt. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. You can follow me at Pet Berisha, so P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A on uh, Twitter. So hit me up on there. Probably usually complaining about Arsenal. So yeah, if you want to see some of that, hit me up. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, Hit us up on State of Play on Twitter, Instagram, and all that great stuff.